Hey, Keith, have you heard? This guy in London, he's launched a Kickstarter on the Harry Potter-inspired wizarding bar. Yeah, this sounds really great. He wants to have magic, snacks, alcohol, and uh, tech mixed in with Harry Potter decor. Well, I don't know. This kind of has disaster written all over it for me. I'm telling you this. As soon as it opens, it's going to be overrun by creepy people with cheesy pickup lines about the size of their Patronus and offering to show people their horcrux. The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. Geek Counter Geek with Chief Conrad and Elliot Serrano. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. I'd just like to say, get a life. Expecto Patronum! Geek Counter Geek number 91. Keith Conrad alongside my BFF, Elliot Serrano. Elliot, how are you doing this week? Doing good. Holding on one day at a time. Valerie Burtono. Exactly. You can follow me at Keith R. Conrad on Twitter, Keith Conrad on Facebook, uh, at Geek Counter Geek on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, Elliot's on Twitter too, at Elliot Serrano. Um, and Instagram. Don't forget the Instagram. And always remember, it's Elliot Serrano with two L's, two T's, and two R's. I'm wondering, Keith, are either of us ever going to get verified on Twitter? Because, you know, there are all those, uh, you know, there are all those Keith Conrads out there pretending to be you. And I've got Horatio Sands pretending to be me. Yeah, I know. It's really not fair at all. I, I, I just don't understand that. We're, we're going to have to lobby Twitter. As a matter of fact, you know, we should probably start, you know, some sort of campaign for all of our, uh, all of our hundreds of listeners saying, hey, you know, make, make, uh, make Keith and Elliot official. Get up to hundreds? Awesome. I, I oh. know, right? I, I, I thought we were still in the tens. <laughs> Dozens of people are waiting for the show to start. So I, I saw a very disturbing story this week, Elliot. Uh, apparently, uh, to kill a mockingbird, apparently to kill a mockingbird is getting its own uh, own graphic novel. Now, now I could see something like that with you know a, a story that's really long and involved, but like to kill a mockingbird, it's only a couple hundred pages, and if you're like me, you had to read it in school anyway. So, wh- wh- who's who's <laughs> who's the audience for the graphic novel? Uh, it reminds me of the the classic comics. You know, there was a thing that came out back in the day where they took um, like um, Treasure Island and and all these other great you know classic stories, and they they, they adapted them for comic books. And um, with To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah, you know, I can see that they want to do that to pretty much open it up to a new um, audience. I would guess, you know, maybe. Maybe get some kids to read the comic book version, and then they'll pick up the book itself. I, I you know, I'd be curious. I'll be honest, though. Uh, I have never read To Kill a Mockingbird. I have not even seen the movie. So, um, you know, any character like Atticus Fink, who knocks Indiana Jones down to number two as the AFI's greatest hero of all time. Well, um, not apparently in the sequel. Not, no. Yeah, no, apparently in the sure. sequel, he's a bit of a jerk. Bit of a jerk, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, 
I think the and in, in, in um, fairness to graphic novels, it also depends on I don't know who the publisher is and who the artist is going to be. There's a lot of detail you can put into a graphic novel. Um, although the, you're right, there are things that kind of get you know don't seem to translate. Um, I have the graphic novel of uh, the Kite Runner. And uh, while the Kite Runner itself is this really deep, intense book about, you know, a child living in Afghanistan, the Kite Runner kind of seems seems to lack a little bit of some of that that culture, that flavor that you get from the book. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, But uh, I'm curious as to, uh, you know, even who's going to adapt it, like who's the writer. You know, I just hope that uh, when they make the graphic novel that uh, Boo Boo Radley ends up still looking like uh, young uh, Robert Duvall. Because believe it or not, kids, he was young once. (laughs) You know, even before before he was conciliere in the the Godfather movie and and, and all those things. Uh, My problem, though, I remember as a kid, I always confused. I don't know why Robert Duvall and James Caan. I always got my wires crossed on those two guys. And they both appeared together in The Godfather. I think that finally, I needed that to, uh, to, to suss that out. Because um, I don't know why, but I always wanted to think Robert Duvall starred in Thunderball. But it, that wasn't him, that was James Caan. I could see getting those two confused. I mean, they're they're what probably about the same age. They play uh, kind of, especially these days, they play, play kind of grumpy old men characters. I mean, they're... I, I could see getting those two confused. You know, it's just one has a little bit more hair. A little bit more hair, right? Uh, um, yeah, uh, with um, with graphic novels, I can see that they they're trying to get kids into or get people into the classic. So uh, we'll see. I uh, seem my, to oh, remember, oh, oh. Uh, you know, talking myself off the bitter old man ledge. Uh, I, I seem to remember uh, that I, when I was a, a youngster, did have a. You know, I, I don't think at the time they would have called them graphic novels, but I did have a graphic novel sort of thing of Treasure Island. And uh, that was really my first exposure to it. So, yeah, I guess I guess the kids can have their graphic novels. <laughs> that caused one of the biggest fights between my dad and my uncle when I was a kid. Um, e treated comic books with utter disdain. Uh, my dad had gotten me a bunch of Fantastic Four comics, which I just loved, because they had, you know, there's a bunch of comic books. Some had they had a, a issue where the Hulk was fighting a thing, and then he there was another uh, comic book where it was Thor fighting the Silver Surfer, and it was like, to me, I was on cloud nine with these comics, and my uncle made this comment, like, how, how they were pretty much, you know, you had to be dumb to read them, and really the only real comics you should read were classic comics, which is why to this day I'm pretty much uh, uh, resentful of classic comics. So. <laughs> Maybe I, need a, I need to get over that myself. Yeah, you, you just sort of went in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. Not what my uncle intended, I would think. He was a bit of a jerk, though. So, so uh, you know, there's a lot of... Um, We've reached blockbuster season at this point in the summer, um, and uh, uh, Alien Covenant came out a couple weeks ago, and, and it did it did pretty well at the box office. Um, now I know that uh, I know that you haven't seen it yet. 
Uh, are you going to see it, or was Prometheus, was that just enough for you and you're done? You know, I'm a big Ridley Scott fan. And I was actually disappointed that he's not directing the uh, Blade, Bur Blade Runner 2029. Um, he's executive producing that one. So now I'm wondering, maybe I should be glad, because... Some of the stuff I was hearing about Alien Covenant, it was it was essentially Prometheus Part Two, and good lord, did I loathe that movie! And and yet again, not the smartest movie, not the smartest characters, you know, um, um, characters acting pretty dumb just for the sake of plot. So I might wait for the video on that one. I would say those are all fair criticisms. Uh, I w I will say that. Um uh, it it looks like a classic alien movie, you know. Even with all the all the plot holes and 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 everything else, like it 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 definitely looks more like an alien movie than uh, than Prometheus did. But you know, there were a lot of plot holes and 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 really frustrating things about Prometheus. And they just sort of build on those plot holes and things that are really frustrating in, in Alien Covenant. And it was one of those things where I, uh, you know, I left the theater going, okay, that was all right. You know, it wasn't, uh, you know, there's no Game Over Man moment or anything like that. But it, it was a decent movie. I, uh, I didn't want my money back or anything after that. And then, and then I started uh, talking to uh, my coworker Nick about, uh, about the plot because he's a huge Alien fan. And, um, yeah, there's, it's, it, um, now, now I, I haven't seen every single part of the alien, you know, the alien franchise. Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there a, um, wasn't there an alien versus predator movie that took place like in like relatively present day? Like, don't I remember that happening at one point? Well, it wasn't, I wouldn't say present day. But it did take place before the first Alien movie, which was, you know, kind of throwing. Oh, okay, so so even off. if it's even if it's just before the first Alien movie, um, th then this makes no sense. So either right. we're ignoring that movie, or there's even more plot holes that I hadn't considered. <laughs> yeah, because I yeah that. Because uh, Lance Henriksen is in that one, right? And they have him in there, and it was, and it's kind of like to explain why all the androids look like him, which apparently they don't look like him anymore. Not like him. Now they all look like Michael Fassbender, right? Right. Yes. Like Michael Fassbender just keeps coming back as an android in every in every movie. Well, you um, have no idea <laughs> how much Michael Fassbender <laughs> keeps coming back in every movie. <laughs> Alien versus X Men. Then this like Fastbender Magneto are gonna the Magneto and David Android are gonna have it out. And, um, and somehow yeah. somehow uh, somehow Magneto created all the aliens. That's cre all the yeah aliens. yeah Magneto created the Xenomorphs. That's what happened. I'm telling you, uh, someone in in a studio or in a movie studio is going. Wow, wait a minute, that's it. Aliens versus X Men. We've got it. Actually, they've already done Aliens versus X-Men in the X-Men comics, but the aliens in the comics were called the Brood. So, <clears throat> Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
The, uh, the yeah, so I'm telling you right now, um, the thing about with Ridley Scott, and I'm sure people have always known this, look at any of Ridley Scott's movies. I mean, Ridley Scott is by, you know, by trade, you know, Mr. Production Designer, right? You know, he is all about, he's like uh, Zack Snyder is now, all about setting up the shot and getting a mood and getting a particular look to it. Um, the actual performances in Ridley Scott movies aren't always necessarily stellar. I mean, he always has good actors that work with him and they give good work. But there's nothing in a Ridley Scott movie that will make you go, oh, wow, that performance is so great, that's Oscar-worthy. Um, the plot... Aside from maybe Matt the- Damon, who had to, you know, carry the whole movie himself. Right, right. In, um, yeah, right, um, in the, the Martian. Right. Um, and that's with a book that had a very solid foundation as far as plot, right? Yeah. Now, um, but look at, at the rest of his movies, you know, they're tone pieces, they're tone poems. It's, you know, whether it's uh, an alien, it's alien, whether it's, uh, you know, the first Blade Runner film, um, <clears throat> um, Phoebus, I'm drawing blanks now on the other, because he's done a lot of movies. <laughs> the, the movie about wine he did with Russell Crowe. <laughs> which which was actually I think I think it's called uh, a good year. It's actually very good. I'm, uh, I'm always saying my problem is I'm always um, confuddling uh, Ridley and Tony, his brother Tony Scott, who did things like Top Gun, Days of Thunder, um, and uh, Domino. A lot of really good, also tone movies. But with uh, with Tony Scott, he was more the action guy, and. Um, you know, and I actually really enjoyed enjoyed Tony Scott movies. Um, you yeah, know. they they were like, uh, um, you know, I think you could you could compare them to almost like uh, um, you know Michael Bay movies if Michael Bay actually paid any attention to having a coherent story. Right. Well, but yeah, Michael Bay. Yeah, you're right. Michael Bay movies are very much like Ridley Scott movies, except with a hell of a lot more cuts in them. Yes. <clears throat> Like Michael Bay can't hold a shot for more than three seconds, and he's already already cutting to something else, cutting to something else, cutting to something else. You know, he is an editor's nightmare. You know, you, you I mean, you don't need strobe lights in a in a Michael Bay movie to get a seizure. <laughs> There's just so many freaking cuts in those films. Um, but so yeah, back to, to Ridley Scott. So his movies have never really been strong on plot. They're all about atmosphere. They're all about mood. And if you're okay with that, then you're going to enjoy the films. And and really, Scott does do really incredible stuff on film. Um, uh, you know, he's he's great at that. But is he great at putting together a really strong, smart script? Not so much. Well, yeah, I mean, you can think about that with uh, with Blade Runner. That um, you know, how many iconic lines are there really in in Blade Runner? But if if you're if you're looking at the movie Blade Runner, you know you're looking at the movie Blade Runner, right? <clears throat> There's one iconic uh, iconic line you know, in Blade Runner. That's the Roy Batty speech um, near the end, right before he dies. He goes, "I've seen ships on fire, you know, uh, in, you know, by outside the Altari Belt or something like that." Yeah, it's so iconic. I can't even remember it right now. <laughs> um, no, but it, it's a great scene, a great line, and again, also a tone poem. It's not even Harrison Ford's greatest um, performance. I mean, he's really muted 
in this one plays it very monotone. You, you know? know, he actually kind of plays himself in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, doing it for the check. Because yeah, uh, well, you know, you look at uh, at say uh, you know Han Solo or or or, uh, or Indiana Jones or, or really any character um, uh, Harrison Ford plays. He's way more outgoing and energetic than uh, than Harrison Ford ever is, and uh, in <laughs> yeah. Blade Runner, he kind of plays himself. Plays himself. Yeah. I always think to me the one that the the, the the two performances, of course, are when he plays John Book in Witness. That would be the the movie that gets him um, his um, Oscar nomination. I think Sidney Pollack directed that one. I believe I you're right. Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, something there. You know, those performances are in Harrison Ford. Uh, you, know, you know, when he's with Steven Spielberg, he kind of falls on that character, you know, the indie character, which is um, almost Han Solo, but turned up all the, you know, turned up to the nth degree. <clears throat> um, Han Solo is almost like indie, but dumb. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah. And then you had uh, Richard Kimball. Um, who was in, in The Fugitive, and that was directed by Andrew Davis. And Andrew Davis is another director, much like Ridley Scott, who was very good at doing these films that had a feel to them. Um, but, you know, but, uh, everyone who talks about being on his movies, they say they're brutal. I know um, Keanu Reeves worked with Andrew Davis on a film. I'm drawing a blank as to what it was called. I remember it being... The bus that couldn't slow down. I'm sorry? The bus that couldn't slow down. That was speed. Oh, that's right. That was, right. A, that was John Dubont. Oh, if it was um, uh, if it was in Chicago, was it a Chain Reaction? Chain Reaction, yes, that was it. Chain Reaction, where uh, Keanu Reeves uh, has a chase. He uh, starts in the Museum of Science and Industry, goes through a back hallway, ends up at the Field Museum. And I'm like. Hey, hey, if any wow. if anybody Always. can do that. See, and that's before the Matrix. That's the amazing thing. The, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, 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 but the Reeves said it was just brutal. Those shoots were brutal. So who knows? Maybe, you know, working with uh, Ridley Scott just wears you down, just like working with Andrew Davis wears you down. And that's why, you know, Harrison Ford gives such a flat performance in Blade Runner. <clears throat> I don't know what the performances were like in Alien Covenant. Um, I know the, the the nice little like eight minute bit that they put out on the internet. You know, like a scene from the movies looked interesting. People standing around a table and talking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. After that, people start doing dumb things. Start doing dumb things. So. Yeah. I just kept waiting for Paul Reiser to show up. <laughs> but uh, let me tell you, James Franco is on fire in that movie. <laughs> It is Franco. The talk about somebody playing himself all the time. It seems like that's all he's been doing lately. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. He has a he has a very brief. Uh, it's really just a, just a cameo in uh, Alien Covenant. Oh. But uh, yeah. he really lights up the screen. <laughs> well, talk about lighting up the screen. Oh, yeah. um, I didn't see Alien Covenant, but I did see Wonder Woman. Well, speaking of which, before before we get into your review of uh, of Wonder Woman, I haven't seen it yet. I'll probably see it uh, this coming weekend. And mm -hmm. uh, the the funny thing is, uh, so uh, there was a guy named Bill Billy, uh, not Billy Crystal, 
Bill Crystal, who's a, a columnist with uh, this conservative publication called the Weekly Standard. And every once in a while, he'll come out with this piece talking about how, you know, the Empire in Star Wars isn't that bad. And uh, <laughs> so the same thing happened because there was there was some columnist, and I, I, I think I saw it in the Tribune, but I could be wrong, who, who basically said... All right, can we have a can we have, just have a Wonder Woman movie that's just a Wonder Woman movie and isn't trying to make any statement? And I was like, well, and, and I'm thinking, can, can you just watch the movie and not be and not be looking for any statement? Just enjoy it. Like even if there's a statement there, just enjoy the movie. Well, in in fairness, I mean, can we have a Wonder Woman movie without it making a statement? The first thing you got to do is have a Wonder Woman movie. Uh, right? That's very true. Yes. Dave, this is really the first live-action, big-screen Wonder Woman film, something that people have been waiting many, many years for, um, had been in production, you know, how long, and would start, stop, start, stop, <clears throat> to the point where I, and I, I mean, this is something that maybe some folks don't, don't seem to understand. I mean, they, they were saying this whole bit that um, Wonder Woman... You know, in retrospect, it was a slam dunk. It was going to make a lot of money. I mean, as of now, we're talking about north of a hundred million. You know, for um, for the film, which is bad considering the budget. The budget, you know, the Wonder Woman budget was was pretty reasonable compared to, let's say, Batman versus Superman. Which is odd because so, they had, uh, um, you know, for better or worse, they had, you know, kind of similar aesthetics to them. Mm-hmm. So, so it's so, a little it's a little odd that uh, you know it, it doesn't seem like it it would actually take any less money to make a CGI World War One battlefield as opposed to making Gotham City look you know all explodey. Pretty much the same thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's the thing that many folks may not realize: one, Wonder Woman is not a top selling comic book. All right. Um, DC Comics for the longest time just published the comic book, even though it didn't have the greatest sales, so that they could keep the uh, trademark on Wonder Woman active. Because why? Even though the comics don't sell that well, you, you still want to be able to put her on lunchboxes, T-shirts, merchandising. Yeah, and like when you that. think about it, most people aren't going to know Wonder Woman from uh, the comic books. They're going to know her from uh, Linda Carter. From Linda Carter, that is the, the the bit right there. You ask people, you ask them. You go down the street, you ask people. Okay, what do you know about Wonder Woman? Like, who was the, um, uh, what was the last Wonder Woman comic you read? You know, or what was the last Wonder Woman story you read? Let me remember that. They are going to remember Linda Carter and the TV series and the many different outfits that she wore. You know, which is fine. Okay, because. Let's be honest. The thing with Wonder Woman is, they um, over the years she really didn't get the sort of attention, or you know, the um, probably the, the, the DC didn't develop her properly, you know, over the years. Um, then come the '80s and '90s, they start getting some top-flight talent working on her comics. Um, they had um, artists like George Perez, John Byrne. We're talking the you know big names in comic books working on the, her title to get more people to read it. 
Um, but despite all that, you know, it, it was always a Midland seller. And they just said, okay, fine, you know, we'll keep Wonder Woman going because she's one of our, <clears throat> you know, she's she's one of really the few um, popular or one of the few mainstay female characters in the DC universe. And, um, you know, just keep her around. What happens after that? Then you talk about um, uh, all this development. Superman, Superman movies, Batman movies. Why aren't we getting a Wonder Woman movie, right? You would think, again, another slam dunk. But with all the stuff that was going on with Wonder Woman and how she was being developed for the comics and then later on for um, TV series, uh, a lot of folks forget there was a, a failed uh, television series uh, a few years back that a David Chase started, and the moment... Uh, uh, Im uh, images of the of the of the costume hit the internet, and and Wonder Woman fans lost their lost their minds over it because they hated it. The, the pilot, sight unseen, was killed right then. Well, that's not so, going to help matters. Yeah, no, it wasn't, not, it wasn't David Chase. It was uh, David Kelly. I'm sorry, David uh, David Kelly did it. So you see the, the whole development of a Wonder Woman movie, there's all this thing that's it's fraught with dangers and potential blowback and all these things that are going on. Um, and even when they cast Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman for this film, there was also, you know, people complaining about that, you know, until she shows up in Batman versus Superman. Well, even um, now so, there was uh, there was some controversy. Um, I forget uh, a, a Middle Eastern country uh, banned her because uh, she's Israeli, which is which is well, the, probably the, the, the dumbest the, thing anybody's ever done. Well, there was a, 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 a I don't know, it was a foreign minister or somebody in Lebanon. They wanted to ban the movie, yes, because the movie starred an Israeli actress in Lebanon and Israel aren't exactly friends right now. And I don't think it was anything official. They, they, that's just something they wanted to do. But I don't think, if I remember correctly, if I understand it correctly, there was no official ban. But so it wasn't as official as a Trump tweet or anything like that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, no. <laughs> hey, it's not policy. Right? I, I, no, I think, they've, I think they've switched that. Now it actually is policy. It is policy. They, they keep going back and forth on that. They do. Uh, you go and inject some reality into my my fantasy world right now. That's such a so, buzzkill. <laughs> so yeah, so then the movie comes out. Oh yeah, now and I forgot the other bit. Joss Whedon, who um, would make you know kind of like movie history by creating the um, by writing and directing the first Avengers movie and pretty much capping off what was the big. Um, project of building a cohesive Marvel movie universe, Joss Whedon was going to do a Wonder Woman movie. He was supposed to write and direct the script, and you would think, slam dunk for him, this is the guy who produced Buffy the uh, Rope and produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Strong female character. You know, love, you know, everyone loved that. Loved her, loved the character, loved how he handled it. So boom, she should have it. And he said that was he couldn't do it. He couldn't he couldn't crack that nut. He goes you know, that Wonder Woman's not made of she's not made of whole cloth. There are all these things that you have to reconcile with the character, you know, her origins. Because again, with the comic books, they just kept changing things up with her. She's evolved so much over time. Fine. 
enter this team now that's doing the Wonder Woman movie. And, <clears throat> yeah, lots of pressure on this. Because why? Because everyone has been talking about a Wonder Woman movie for years. And if it stinks, you're going to have the folks who are going to say, see, you couldn't make a good Wonder Woman movie anyway. So it's a tremendous amount of pressure. I think the, 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 the pressure equal to, I wouldn't go so far to say it was like episode seven pressure. You know, the pressure that J.J. Abrams had on him to make a new Star Wars movie and make it successful. I don't think it was that quite. I would probably equate it more to like, say, Star Trek, the motion picture pressure. Well, and I would say, uh, based on uh, what I've heard, I think uh, more people left the theater after Wonder Woman actually knowing what they saw uh, than uh, was the case with Star Trek, the motion picture. I think most most people <laughs> left the theater then going, what was that? What is that about? Right. Or, oh, I take it, I, it, or even better, even better, uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movie pressure. Okay, yeah, because that had as many uh, fits and starts uh, getting that thing made. And no one, people said, why aren't we getting a Spider-Man movie made? Now, the, the issue we didn't get a Spider-Man movie made for so long was because of the rights issues. That's why. Yeah. And at, at one point, uh, at one point, that was going to be James Cameron's follow-up to uh, Titanic. Yeah, and I read that treatment. That was that sounded pretty cool. Did um, he write so that? He wrote a treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I know there's a lot of stuff in the Spider-Man, the, the final um, um, film, the Tobey Maguire movie. I was like, oh, wow, that, that may, it seems like they kept that element from the, um, from the James Cameron treatment. So you've been waiting so long for a Spider-Man movie. It finally comes out. Boom. I mean, was, it, was the first Spider-Man movie perfect? By any, no. I mean, there, there, it had some issues, too. The performances were pretty good. Um, it folded in all these things about the Spider-Man origin from the comics that, you know, in, in clever ways and did all these things and it had, and it pretty much made, you know, Sam Raimi, a, a, um, a, you know, a blockbuster name as far as directors go, you know, but it wasn't plus, so much. Plus Sam it, Raimi. it brought, uh, it brought Randy Savage back into the national consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Snap it to a Slim Jim. Oh yeah. Bone um, saw. Yeah. But then, you know, uh, you, you look at something like Wonder Woman now. Similar similar, uh, similar situation. People have been waiting forever for this. Is it going to suck? Or are they going to be faithful enough to the character? Or how, not even so much the character, but what people who, how people understand the character to be. And that's where the challenge was with, um, with Wonder Woman. And a challenge that both Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman had posed before them and they failed terribly with those last two with those two movies. It seemed like Zack Snyder didn't get Superman at all and he kinda got Batman. But he had to take Batman and turn Batman into the Punisher before he really thought Batman was cool. Um you bring in Patty Jenkins Patty Jenkins, who's a big Wonder Woman fan, and on top of that uses Superman the movie, the very first Superman movie, the Richard Donner movie, as a bit of an inspiration, and boom, you have a director who gets the character and gives you a pretty um, a pretty fair representation of how most people would expect Diana Prince, Diana of Themyscira, to be in a movie. <clears throat> you know, 
a, you know, a little different from the the the, the, the uh, Linda Carter Wonder Woman. You know, more modernized. Um, does she have the uh, Does she have the wetsuit costume that Linda Carter did? Because that was always my favorite of the uh, the Linda Carter. Uh, I'm guessing that's going to happen in the Justice League movie. Yeah, I could see that. Because you know you're gonna have an Aquaman scene, you're gonna have a wetsuit. <laughs> um, so. You know, I, I remember as when I went to go see Wonder Woman, it's like I'm going in pretty much thinking, hoping, please, please, please be good. Let's be honest about this, okay? Here's the thing about the Wonder Woman movie as well. Because don't get me wrong, it is a good movie. Right? Now, like the Spider-Man movie, was it a perfect movie? Um, I, I say the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie was not a perfect movie, but it understood the character and did a pretty decent job of that. Of getting it, except the bit with the organic webs, where Toby McGuire was like shooting the webs out. Of, it was kind of gross. Yeah, I, I was about to say. To to be honest, that was gross. That was gross. Uh, nothing gross like that in Wonder Woman. Um, you know, so the movie is the Wonder Woman movie perfect? No. Um, God, I had a couple issues here and there, but uh, it it was very faithful to how you know I've always understood the character of Diana Prince to be. Um, there are some good performances. Gal Gadot is very good in it. But here's the thing. She's likable. She, you want to root for her. You want Wonder Woman to, to succeed. You, you know, when she, when she runs up against a, a problem, you, you know, you're like, it's, it's, things are set up for her where you go, oh, come on, Wonder Woman, do this. Take care of this. Help these people. None of that ever happened in, in Superman, in Man of Steel. Or in um, Batman vs Superman. Actually, you know, it didn't. Happened. To to show you sort of the the difference, it didn't really happen with Wonder Woman in Batman vs Superman. She <laughs> she was true. just kind of there. She was just there. Then she went in to fight for a bit, and then she left. So yeah. So uh, the the Wonder Woman movie itself fun, and in and then but if you want to be critical of the film, you had to be careful because so many people were looking at this movie, and yes, for this. For a lot of people, this movie was a statement. It was kind of the whole, you know, you know, um, yes, we need heroes like this. Why is it that you get, you know, all these Superman movies? You get all these Batman movies. You get Spider-Man rebooted how many times? And we haven't been able to even get one Wonder Woman movie. And that's, I think that's a fair uh, complaint. You know, guys never have a problem. We never have a problem getting our superheroes uh, portrayed on the big screen because, you know, we're guys and, you know, we tend to get what we want. Um, (laughs) You know, women kind of have to wait their turn, apparently. So myself, with even, I'll admit, a little bit of a bias, um, I was going in, you know, leaning towards wanting to like the movie. And for the most part, I did like the movie um, for the performances, for the characters. The third act, uh, I was a little bit disappointed because you spent all this time building up your, your villain, your bad guy, and at the end there's the reveal of what's going on, and um, you're like, oh, and then it turns into like this big CGI slugfest, which you're like, oh, you know, and you're like, <laughs> okay. I mean, you, you see it so many times these days in movies, it becomes a little. It becomes a little, you know, almost anticlimactic. But 
still... It's sort of like waiting for somebody to do something stupid in the Alien movies. Remember in... Was it... It was Alien Resurrection. Yeah, Alien Resurrection, where the where the, the alien hybrid got sucked through a hole in a window in the space. I do remember that, yeah. That was, and that, that was probably one of the most gruesome, most brutal, most cruel deaths of an alien I've ever seen committed the film. And the fact that somebody thought that was something we wanted to see, is like, so, ah, oh, I could not believe that. You know, so I guess that, that shows really how tone deaf Hollywood producers can be. And um, it, it, uh, it's interesting because uh, it's the one time you sort of felt sorry for the alien. Yeah, sort of. I felt, good God. Somebody stop this, please. Um, so, you know, folks are looking now at Wonder Woman, speaking about tone-deaf producers, and they're, they're saying, gee, why did it take so long to get this movie? Because women are going to see this film, and, you know, you're getting reports of women who are just sobbing, sobbing at the film because they, they just it's just like this cathartic release for them to be able to see this character, which they've loved for so long, and, you know, or that they've idolized for so long, finally getting this sort of representation. I mean, let's be fair, I mean, it's not like she's the only female superhero or the only female hero we've ever seen in movies, but there is that thing about Wonder Woman, her. She's, you know, just, she's more than just a a comic book character. She's a pop culture icon. So finally getting to see her in action um, was such a relief and, you know, such a joy for so many women and yeah, you know, hey, it, I I don't have a problem with it being a statement movie at least the first time, you know, the first time through, and that way I, I'm looking forward to the day when now the girls get to complain about how many times are they going to reboot Wonder Woman because they get they start out really well and then the movies start to suck and then they start to they have to start all over again. And you know, Elliot, uh, when they uh, when they reboot. The Wonder Woman movie, because it will happen one day. Uh, we have our own Wonder Women on the Radio Misfits podcast network, uh, The Dishing Bitches, who I, I know you're big fans of. Uh, and, and by fans, I mean you've gotten a restraining order uh, filed against you by them. Those girls, those girls got magic bracelets that they, def- they deflect me with. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Stephanie from The Dishing Bitches uh, followed me on Twitter. I was very happy about that. She's a great gal. I, I, I love her. She's a great gal. I'm like, um, all of them being um, as um, as outspoken as they are, I'm curious to hear what their review of the Wonder Woman movie was. Oh, that would be a good episode for them to do. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Rick and Dave on the Minutia Men, uh, not a whole lot of movie reviews. I doubt we'll see a Wonder Woman review from them, just because uh, I believe Rick has like all boys, so that that might be an issue. I, I can take your boys to go see Wonder Woman. I, I, well, yeah, I, I can't. I can't say uh, either for sure that Rick has all boys, and that they wouldn't be interested in seeing the movie anyway. But uh, you know, it seemed like a good segue. <laughs> I'm wondering if they've binged um, Twin Peaks. And and talked about it because you know that the wrapped in plastic guys have. 
right yeah yeah it's uh it, it sounds like uh from from what i've heard it sounds like people who are twin peaks fans are uh are liking the the uh, the new series but uh you know we'll see what happens uh, at the end you know if you had asked me a couple episodes in i would have said hey yeah this new x-files season is really good and then at the end uh oh boy <laughs> well, you're gonna get more of that uh well hopefully something that uh, will be a little less frustrating uh but you know you never know we'll see but no matter which radio yeah. misfits podcast uh, network podcast you're listening to you want to hear them the best that you can and the really the only way to do that is uh, through headphones and accessories from tweet audio they have eight colors and styles available mic'd non-mic'd versions designed to sound great for music and talk so you can listen to the dishing bitches uh, on them they have uh, noise reducing designs in case you're uh, you know flying as uh, as i was a couple weeks ago they have a lifetime warranty. Go to tweakedaudio.com and enter the discount code GCG for Geek Counter Geek and get 33% off and free shipping. The code is not case sensitive. Just put in a GCG and, uh, and those guys will hook you up. Now, uh, Elliot, uh, I, was, I was traveling uh, over the Memorial Day weekend and um, I, I ended up at, at one point watching Passengers again. Now, did you ever see that movie? That was the Chris Pratt, uh, Jennifer Lawrence vehicle, right? It sure was. Where they're on a they're on a spaceship. Yes, v- vehicle and, being um, the operative word. A giant space vehicle, which I guess is taking humanity to like another planet, because and it's like a big luxury boat or whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, they're basically it's it's sort of the same uh, beginning as uh, Alien Covenant. They're going to colonize a new. Uh, a new planet and uh have you have you seen that that movie yet or have you uh managed to avoid it i have not seen that all i know it just kept reminding me of wall e i was like oh no i saw wall e already i i, 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 I can see actually yeah, yeah that, that's that's kind of except everybody's everybody that we see is not uh 400 pounds so it's not quite like wall e but uh, I'll, um, I'll go i'll go ahead and uh and spoil it for you because i'm kind of a jerk um <laughs> you know, in, in all the previews, they make it seem like uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence wake up together, and it's sort of an accident, right? Uh, but the the um, thing that uh, the thing that sort of the the twist in the story is that uh, Chris Pratt's character uh, wakes up in an accident. Uh, he spends about a year alone on the ship, and uh, finally, he's just going crazy from loneliness. And uh, he ends up waking up, intentionally waking up uh, the uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character, you know, with 90 years left in the in the trip. So, you know, thanks a lot for that. And condemns uh, her to die. Right. What's that? Pretty much condemns her to die. Yeah. I mean, he's condemned to die, obviously. uh, But, yeah, he does, in fact, condemn her to to die. And. at, at the end of the story, like, so basically in the middle, they're fighting because she learns that, that, uh, that he did this. And at the end, they're, they sort of reunite and, and they, uh, they live uh, sort of happily ever after during their 90-year trek to this planet they're going to. And that kind of bothers me a little bit um, because, you know, somebody did that to me. I'm not going to reconcile with them. Well, 
but, you but, can fight over who voted for Trump over over Thanksgiving. <laughs> People hold on to grudges for sure. Yeah, I, I'd be holding a grudge over that. Like I only hold one grudge in my life. I, I don't see me. I don't see myself giving it up uh, anytime soon. And it's far less serious than condemning me to ninety years of living on a spaceship uh, uh, and 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 dying mostly alone on there. Um, but the the thing that bothers me the most after now watching it for a second time is that it was completely unnecessary for that plot point to even exist. It was literally like they 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 did that just so that they would be fighting in the middle. Because if they, if it had worked out the way it was actually promoted, where they just they just woke up together. And they had to solve the same problems that they had to solve in the story. The story would have been would have been fine. Like nobody would have would nobody would have said, "Oh, that was boring." Like they they didn't actually need to do that to the poor woman. Not that she exists, but still. Well, I mean, in defense of the screenwriter, and again, I haven't seen the movie, and I'll also, I will admit though, I I heard the, about your this plot point. I was spoiled a long time ago. And that that made a lot of people hate the Chris Pratt character. Um, but here's the way I look at it: so if, if he and uh, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence both wake up, quote unquote, by accident, why would the accident be so convenient that it would be the two best looking people on the ship that end up being woken up by accident? That's true. It would it would never be the two best looking people on the ship. It would be like us. The preceding was a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Find our other great shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at RadioMisfits.com. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Gabatron.